0: Good morning. Would you guys stand with me as we read God's word? I know you just sat down. I know. Uh, Today we get to continue on in our series through the book of Proverbs and um, over the last two to three weeks we've just really had a chance to unpack what it means to um, live wisely. What does God have to say about the way that we should live our lives in such a way that would bring honor and glory to him. And so today we get to focus on friendship and the fact that God has something to say about who we allow to influence us as well as who we invite to be our friends. And so the umbrella for what we'll talk about today is found in Proverbs 13, verse 20, as it says, The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Will you join me as we pray? Father, I can't think of anything greater, of any greater privilege, Lord, than to look to you to be our help. Father, you know every single thing going in the hearts of your people right here and right now. You know what they did yesterday and the day before, the thoughts that were circulating in their minds, the suffering that they've experienced. You know all of that, and yet through your grace, you give us the opportunity to step away from our circumstances, to take our eyes off of our conditions, Lord, and to place them rightly on you. Father, I pray that if not just for a moment, would you recalibrate our souls this morning. Father, would you meet us here this morning, for you have provided a feast for us that you intend to bear fruit in our lives. Father, would you give us ears to hear and a heart willing to obey, to look to a wisdom outside of our own eyes and trust that that is the best thing for us, that as we hear from you, your will for our life is the best thing for us. Father, you don't tell us things in order to harm us. You don't um, um, desire to remove things out of our life for our own despair and destruction. Father, everything that you intend for us is for our good. Would we fight? Would you give us your grace to truly believe that, God? That even when you call us to do hard things, Father, what we know that is for a good purpose? God, would you give me this morning the fresh filling of your spirit, that I would speak not as if it were my words, but as thus saith the Lord, Father, would I hold plainly before your people what you have already spoken in such a way that lives would be changed, not as, as the result of any eloquence or any crafty or clever speech, but Father, because your word is powerful. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. Friendship can be one of the most rewarding relationships that we get a chance to experience, but it also can be one of the greatest sources of pain. If we're honest, all of us know that friendships are often really hard. They require a whole lot of work. Friendships are those things that, you know, in order to have a friend, we have to be willing to be vulnerable be humble, to lay down our lives at times, to consider somebody above ourselves. This is what, is, this is what friendship is built on, and if, if, if we really were honest about that, we know that that's scary to us. It's scary to entrust our hearts to somebody who we can't predict the outcome or their reactions. And our fear drives us to look to things like Facebook and Instagram, and Snapchat, and social media, whatever you, whatever your cup of tea is, as a replacement for the very thing that God meant to be a blessing for us. We like predictability, and so it's much easier to click a button and say, add a new friend, than it is to actually go up to somebody and start a conversation. It's a lot easier to say, when I don't like what you have to say, let me just unfollow you. But not even that. Let me unfollow you and give the impression that we're still friends even though we're not. You know that button on Facebook that says unfollow posts but still remain friends? How many of us have clicked on that button from time to time? How many of us have in this room heard from people who have differing differing opinions or thoughts that have offended us? And rather than confront it, rather than invite a relationship, we'd rather just say let me kind of cut you off. Let me still think that I care about you, but in all actuality, I could care less about anything that you have to say or what's going on in your life. We like the predictability of knowing that if I invest in this relationship, the love that I give is going to be reciprocated. And so friendship for us It's scary. I think our fear of genuinely being known and being in a relationship, it leads us to where our friend circles are really made up of people who have all of the same interests, all of the same uh, accolades, all of the same desires, all of the same fill in the dots. Because we don't want to have Unpredictable responses. Think about your friendships. How many of your real friends look just like you? How many of your real friends come from a similar socioeconomic background? How many of your friendships um, are, are based on same level of attraction or job status or career pursuits or whatever it is? It's not that those things are a bad thing. It's that in God's design for how he wants his people to live, he wants something better for us. He wants the basis of our relationships, the basis of our friendships to be built on something other than what everybody else uses in order to establish a relationship. The truth is, is that we surround ourselves we 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 allow people around us to who to influence influence us really because we believe that our friends or choosing friends is a mental decision rather than a spiritual one let me say that again we We think that choosing our relationships is just a mental or intellectual decision, but what God is going to show us today is that, no, in fact, the people that you surround yourself with ultimately will reveal what's going on in your heart. The people that you tether yourself to will expose what your heart chases after and what's most important to you. And so superficial realities... Built on anything but Christ, all they do is expose that what we're really loving may not be the thing that we're actually loving the most. Today's message can be summed up in really one sentence, and that's this, that the company you keep will impact the way that you live. The company you keep will impact the way that you live. If we get into the text, my first point is, this, as, as the author begins to unpack what this really means, he says that one, we need to pursue the right people. He opens up with the one who walks with the wise will become wise. The one who walks with the wise will become wise. Off the bat, the writer is implying that there are people connected to your life that will either enhance your life or bring your life to ruin. There are people in your life that will either enhance your life in a way that leads you to something greater than the condition that you were in before you met them. How many of y'all can think of individuals who God has brought in your life and you know that you would not be where you are today if God had not allowed you to be their friend? That there are people that God has sent that um, encourage you in ways um, that you couldn't even have imagined if it were left up to you just choosing the friends that you wanted. That there are people who will enter into your suffering, enter into your circumstances, that on the outset you know beyond a doubt that they were God sent and that they are there to help you become more like Jesus. The text begins with wanting us to understand that that there are individuals that we should desire to tether ourselves To people who will not only entertain us, but would help us become more like Jesus. I think a question that we have to ask ourselves from this test is, who are these wise people, though? What does it mean to even be wise? Pastor John, over the last couple of weeks, has really unpacked what wisdom is. But the reality is, is that if we were to simplify it, a wise person is somebody who takes God's word seriously. A wise person is somebody who doesn't just live for the moment or live for the temporary satisfactions of this life. A wise person is somebody who's going to say, I believe God to his word and I'm going to live that out because I know that that is the best thing for me. And if it's the best thing for me, then that means that that's the best thing for you. A person who is wise is more concerned about your godliness than they are whether or not you like them or not. A person who is wise will present a example before you that allows you to not see this perfect picture, but allows you to say, but allows them to say, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. The author would seek to instruct us that if we are to be wise, that we need to find or befriend wise people. Those who are chasing after this God that has saved us. And so, in thinking about that, we might ask the question, so so, are you saying that in order for us to be wise, that we need to be around other people? Are, are, are you saying that, that somehow my maturity is connected to the lives of somebody else outside of myself? The answer is yes. This is not about you attaining wisdom on your own. This is not uh, Christianity is not about you and your personal relationship with God. If God wanted you all to himself or if God wanted you to remain in a place of isolation, then there's his plan A for us has always been that as he brings us into relationship with himself, that he surrounds us with a family. For the Christian, if you find yourself in a place where you're like, man, God, I'm tired of people and I really want nothing to do with anyone else, I want to caution you because Scripture would say that your isolation will lead to your continued immaturity. God has made it out so that we as Christians, if we are going to grow, then we need other people in our lives. And the beauty of God's church is that he provides not only a family of people who look like us or have all of the same interests. He provides us with a family of people from all different backgrounds and all different ways of life. He provides us with a family of people who are going to whole as a whole come around us and then make us who God wants us to be. Individualism in Christianity will only lead to prolonged immaturity. And we have to understand that. The author wants us to know that if we are to become wise, we need to attach ourselves to people who are wise. Don't forsake the blessing that God has given you in his church and through his people. But not only that, he wants us to understand that we need others to shape how we go about our selection process. If we solely base our relationships on how people think the way that they, we think, or agree with everything that we have, then we'll find, what we'll find is that we will, in many ways, become a stunted, growing Christian. You know, as I was I was preparing this text, and in a lot of ways, I just feel as though my mind is is even elsewhere right now. And this point, I think, is so key and so gracious for us because um, it reminds me of what Christ has done for us. It re- this past week, I was at my house, and and really, the last two weeks has been extremely hard, simply because of differing thoughts that I've been battling in my own mind. There were so many distractions this week, and Typically, when you go through sermon prep and you are preparing for a Sunday morning, you're thinking of all of the ways that you want to benefit other people. But there was a time this week where I, God reminded me that that my service to others can't solely depend or, or that service to others can't always take precedent over what the relationship that I need to have with God myself. And so I remember sitting at my table, a uh, sister from our church began to, or she came by and gave my wife and I, uh, opportunity to go go out on a date and it was in that moment that when we came back after our date we found ourselves just sitting at the table chatting it up and as she was sharing about what God was doing in her life as she was sharing about all of the ways that she was trusting God and realizing that God had put her in a season of dependence I began to share in turn about my inward struggles the inward turmoil of questioning calling, questioning, why am I here in this life? Questioning my even position as a pastor. And it was in that moment that she began to remind me of God's faithfulness. Not only in her life, but what she's been able to see in my life. And so it was in that time of true vulnerability and humility and sharing that God reminded me of the beauty of Christian fellowship. The beauty of not simply depending on, hey, I always talking about NBA basketball, always talking about the latest clothes and the latest designs, but really getting to the heart of who, why we are who we are, and that is Jesus. It's in those moments that we need to remind ourselves that the, the, the call from this writer is not to simply stay in a place where we're content with talking about frivolous things. Where we're content with um, surfacey interactions and think that in our greatest time and need that that is going to sustain us. What the author wants to remind us of is that to belong to Christ means that he surrounded you with people who are further along than you are. That he's provided for you in your deficiency of other brothers and sisters that can help encourage you in your lowest times. Of other brothers and sisters that if you would allow them to can enter into your suffering. And not simply be a Dr. Phil to you, but just to weep with you, to cry for you, to pray for you. In that moment, I have forgotten what it was like to simply be prayed for. What it was like to say, I can be open and vulnerable and I know I'm not going to meet condemnation. I'm not going to meet judgment. What I'm going to meet is the love of my Savior as he works in and through my sister to be an encouragement to me. The reality is that if you want to experience God's love, you have to understand that he's going to use people to love you. If you want to understand God as a provider, you have to understand that one of the primary ways that God provides for you will be through his family. That he has given resources to other people in your family so that you don't have to look at what they have in covet and envy. It all belongs to him. So when you ask, when you come and you have a need, stop thinking that it's, that we have to remain in our pride and be fearful to ask from others what we need. The beauty of belonging to the body of Christ is that all of it belongs to God and the way that God will bless you will be through him working in the heart of someone who knows him and giving what doesn't belong to them to you. If we are to taste of true Christian fellowship, then we have to be wise about who it is that we will run after, who it is that we will chase after. What do we really want? See, we could stop at this just being an intellectual changing of mind and we could miss the reality that God really wants to change something in our hearts. For the believer, you can only chase after wisdom if you desire it in the first place. If you think about your life right now, if you think about your friendships, what would they testify about what your heart truly desires? Do you really want to grow in your relationship with God? Do you really want to be wise? Or are you content and satisfied by remaining at, I'm just enough of a Christian to pass the test? Or I'm a Christian, but I want so much more of Jesus. The one who walks with the wise will be wise. Let me hit on that one point once again. This is not talking about listening to a podcast or a sermon series online. This is not talking about sitting in your room and digesting all of the information you can through different books or articles or magazines. This is implying that you have decided that you will Come alongside somebody and not only walk with them for a moment, but continue on walking with them. If our Christian maturity is attached to the people who we surround ourselves with, then that means that my commitment to people has to go beyond their initial receptivity of myself. How many of us have found ourselves isolating or falling back into seasons of isolation all because the person that we tried to extend a friendship to didn't reciprocate it? That the people that we thought we wanted to be around didn't actually want to be around us. And so we find ourselves a recluse now, thinking that, God, I can somehow, I can grow all by myself. And here's the danger of that. A person who is on an island will, of course, think that they're mature because there's nobody else around. A person on an island, of course, will think they're wise because there's nobody else to compare themselves to. And the goal is not to compare ourselves to one another. The goal is to look to other people as examples so that we can say, man, I don't love like they love. I want to. I don't know God's word the way that they know God's word, but I want to. I don't serve the way that I see them serving, but that looks like Jesus, and I want that too. God wants to use all of the varying gifts that He's given His family for the purpose of us being able to see goodness in God, in all of His people, in such a way that it rounds us out, in such a way that it helps us to say, man, I can't boast in the fact that I'm saved by grace or boast in the gifts that God has given me because he's given us all gifts. He's given us all unique attributes and qualities and things that all reflect himself back to each other. And so I can look at a person who has the gift of teaching and preaching and I can say to God be the glory because he can look to me and see I see the gift of servitude and humility, and hospitality to God be the glory. But it's not enough for us simply to attach ourselves to the right people or the wise people. You can be attached to all of the right people and yet still remain immature. Look at what Proverbs fifteen thirty one says. It says, the one who listens to life-giving rebukes will be at home among the wise. Anyone who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever listens to correction acquires a good sense. The fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches, and humility before honor. You can hang among the wise, you can position yourself around all the white people, and you can deceive others into thinking you're something you're not. Who you are connected to does not directly reveal who you are as a person the bible says don't just walk with wise people but you got to listen to wise people you got to be willing to say to yourself you know what i don't know all of the right answers you've got to be willing to say to somebody say i don't trust myself enough to make this decision on my own and so therefore i'm going to allow you to speak into my life and not only hear your consultation but actually obey the things that you're giving to me as advice Pastor John talked about this last week of how we make wise choices. Don't wake, make these types of choices on an island. Invite people into your life. The, act, the art of listening and saying that I trust my life with somebody in somebody else's hands who knows me and loves me in such a way so I can actually believe that what they're saying is for my good. Listen. But not only to say listen, it describes something that is so foreign to us that I think we've got to unpack. It says that he listens to life-giving rebukes. Many of us, when we heard that word rebuke, we are already cringed up because we hate for somebody to call us out on stuff. We really have this knee-jerk reaction to anybody who would proclaim or have some type of authority over our lives. And so when they communicate... Something about ourselves that we don't necessarily like, we get all in our feelings. It's so much easier to sit here on a Sunday morning and hear God's word preached to us. And internally, we know that God is all up in our Kool-Aid. But there's no accountability at all. You can feel the pressing of the Holy Spirit on your heart. You can know that God is calling you into deeper waters, and then in an instant you walk out these doors and you act like you didn't, that God God doesn't even exist even. You can act as though, man, God, I heard that, but how good. Nobody's going to really know if I applied that or made those changes, so I'm good to go. And you will do that week after week after week after week. You may even hear something in this message, and what comes to mind is that other person you're glad is hearing that. This isn't just something common to us in this room. David, after sleeping with another man's woman, making it possible by leveraging his power to put her husband on the front lines, hoping that he would get killed, is confronted by a prophet, Nathan, who comes to him, giving him this story, this example of this rich man and this poor man who had this livestock and and goats. And in this story, totally intended for David to understand, yo, I'm talking about you, David gets infuriated as, we need justice for that man who stole that other man's sheep. To which Nathan says, yo, I'm talking about you. And it wasn't until that moment that contrition of heart and pain and sorrow crept in because now the theoretical turned into the personal the large cast out seeds of hoping that god would take what is said right here on this stage and produce fruit no that was turned around to say nah god god wasn't okay with us just being here of his word he wanted to confront us personally He wanted to get up in our business so that we could know that he's concerned not just about the masses, but he's concerned about the one. Like David, we're guilty of this. But the text isn't just implying that the ownership of how a rebuke comes off is just on the hearer or just on the one giving the rebuke. It also talks about the posture of the heart of the recipient. The rebuke is life-giving to the person who actually desires to grow. The rebuke is actually something that seems beneficial when the heart has been tender enough to actually want to receive correction. The most common phrase that I've heard in the church with anyone who's a truth-teller is that the package or the way in which they presented the message was off. They didn't come at me right. They, They came at me at the wrong time. Not once have I heard somebody say, you know what, what they said to me hurt me and it offended me, but you know what, it's not how they communicated, it's what's going on in my heart. That in all actuality, I don't really want to be corrected. I'm feeling myself a little bit too much and and I think that what they said just triggered and exposed the pride that's going on inside me. It's at that place that when we confess where we're at, when we stop pointing fingers and blaming other people, that we're able to now receive the healing that God intended for us to have in the first place. There is a way to receive a rebuke that has been delivered totally wrong and yet still benefit from it because at the end of the day, we want to honor God. I can separate your tone and your message and how your posture and your body language. I can separate all that because my heart is after the truth of God's word. And I want to live for that. That's not to excuse that we need to be gentle and loving and caring in our tone. But in this particular instance, it is to say that sometimes we've got to step back. and We've got to look at, man, what's going on in my heart that my sister calling me out of my sin is viewed more as an attack against me than it is a loving concern in a way that she's expressing her love for me. A tangible way to fight the battle of pride in these ways is to say, when you somebody confronts you on sin, to pray that God would produce a thankfulness in your heart, that he loved you enough not to let you stay in the thing that you loved more than you loved him. And then to recognize that it's a rebuke in and of itself is not enough to correct me in my lifestyle. That invite them to say, hey, brother, sister, would you walk with me in this? God could change this right now, but he may not. This may be a journey. Would you continue to walk alongside me and even go and talk to your other friends and ask them, hey, do you think that this is true? This is what somebody else saw in me, and I don't want it in me, but I need your help. If you see this in me, would you remind me? Would you have a conversation with me? Would you not allow me to love this more than I love my God? This is the beauty of Christian community. These are the types of people that we need to strive to surround ourselves with. There's a beautiful reality that people who actually reveal something about you are rare And hard to find. People who will actually get out of their comfort zone and have a conversation with you about something blatant, not policing every area of your life, but a habitual pattern that they know is leading to your destruction, that they will step in the gap and say, Brother and sister, I'm not going to allow you to fight this on your own. I'm going to love you enough to say a hard truth because I'm more concerned about your soul than I am about my feelings. Or your feelings against me. Truthfulness becomes grace when the person gives truth. And not only that, but they commit themselves to lovingly walk with you and pray with you as you recover. As you grow. God wants us to have that there's a quote by Matthew Henry that says this, that the character of the wise man is very willing to be, re- be reproved. So he chooses to converse with those that both by their words and example will show him what is amiss. The ear that can take the reproof will love the reprover. The reprover becomes a faithful friend to him because in the reproof he finds genuine love. Ask yourself if the friends around you, if they saw you running off a cliff, would they chase after you, crying, danger, danger, danger? Or would they stand on on the sidelines and allow you to live however you want to live, not being willing to confront or correct or to challenge? Ask yourself, are they really my friends? Are they really my friend? The text doesn't just stop there at who we should choose to befriend, but it tells us who we are to avoid. As it continues, it says, But a companion of fools will suffer harm. It was about six years ago we had just moved into this neighborhood, and we found ourselves wanting to serve our immediate neighbors, and there's this guy in our hood called Keith. Keith was in a wheelchair and just a, a dude that had lived in the neighborhood all his life, and so we remember... Um, at the time, one of my friends, uh, we're staying in our house together. And at 2.30 in the morning, this dude calls us and is like, hey, man, I need a ride somewhere. And so we're like, where do you need a ride to at 2 o'clock in the morning, bro? He's like, man, I just need a ride somewhere. Can you, can you help me? So we wake up. We get in the car. He, he's in a wheelchair. So we got to pack up the wheelchair, put it in the car. And he's just like, man, just drive, and I'll show you where to go. So we're driving. Mind you, this isn't the West End of now. This is, this is the West End of way back then. And so we're driving in the middle of the night in the cut, and I'm like, man, I don't know this area well enough to know where I'm at, but all of a sudden we pull up to this dark, shady-looking house. And so we're at this house, and he's like, okay, this is the house right here. And we see some guys in the front, and we're like, man, this don't, this don't really look right. And so he says, hey, I'm gonna, there's a steep driveway, so he says, man, I'm going to need you to push me up the driveway. And so I was the wise one in the group. <laughs> and I said, nah, bro, I'm, I'm good, I'm going to wait here for you. But my other friend was like, all right, man, I'll push you up to the door. So he pushes them up this steep driveway, and they get to the door. And I really just found this out like a couple days ago. They get to the door, and there's this dude that pokes out a shotgun out of this hole. He's like, man, who are you? And so the dude's like, man, I'm Keith, I'm Keith. Name dropping as if they actually knew who he was. Well, this was a trap house. So they was like, yo, I don't know who you are, but y'all better get out of here. Pointing a shotgun at him. And so as a smart man, they turn around, and they make their way back to the car. And it was at that moment that we realized, man, that's not the type of person I need to be friends with. That's not the type of person that I need to associate with. Because if he's going to take me to a trap house at 2 a.m., then there's a problem. The reality is that everybody can't be your friend. Everybody can't be your friend. And not only that, but everybody shouldn't be your friend. Sometimes in Christian, in Christian church, we, we know that we're family. And so family means that we need to invite or open ourselves up in the same way to everybody. It means that, yeah, I'm family, but that means that in some ways we function as if everybody should have the same amount of access into our lives. And I don't know about you, but to have a few friends is hard enough as it is. To have a few people that I can be open with and honest with, that I can lean on in times that are difficult, man, that's hard enough, let alone the 260, 270 members of our church. And we'll hear that and we'll feel bad. Man, I can't be everybody's friend. But the Bible here is painting a picture of not being everybody's friend, but it would challenge us to say, no, the goal is to be friendly to everybody. However, there is a need to have a close group of friends that you can actually lean on. And so he's going to tell us that even in the midst of all that's great around here, there are people that we need to avoid. Look at what he says, Proverbs 23, 9. He says, don't speak to a fool, for he will despise the insight of your words. That there's a type of person that when they receive instruction, they spend more time trying to convince you of what they want to say than they are listening to what you have to say to them. There's a type of person who likes to rebuttal simple, basic truths of Scripture that are obvious to everybody else, but somehow they have a key, keen insight that's totally different than all of the church. Don't waste your breath on these people. But not only that, it says, Proverbs 22, 25, it says, don't make friends with an angry person and don't be a companion of a hot-tempered one or you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. The temperament of certain people can rub off on you. That there's a type of person who just seems angry about everything. That social media is... Reveals a lot of this where you have certain people who always are the contrarian. Always attacking or angry about some type of injustice. Which is a good thing. However, when you see. But however, if that's all that they discuss. If that's all that they're about is what they're against. man, you Be cautious. Be cautious not to mistake their passion or, their, or mistake their anger for passion and zeal. Be cautious of being around people who find fault in every single thing because if you're not, you'll learn their ways. It's amazing how you can go and sit in a room with somebody and you're happier, happiest as can be, and the next thing you know is that they just start talking and the next thing you find yourself is, is that, man, I'm angry. For, why? You're asking yourself, why am I even angry? I was happy when I came here. Look for people who are peacemakers, not instigators. But thirdly, it says that there's a type of person in Proverbs 23, 19 through 21, who says, Listen, my son, be wise. Keep your mind on the right course. Don't associate with those who drink much wine or with those who gorge themselves on meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will become poor and grogginess will clothe them in rags. Now, when I read this, I was a little convicted because I was like, man, I like to eat. I like food. What are you saying, God? But I think here it's more so talking about the lifestyle of a person who overly indulges on everything. When you go out, they can't just have one glass of wine. They've got to have five. When you go out, they can't just order a couple appetizers. They've got to order the whole menu and then not only order the whole menu, but eat most of it. They're ruled by their, the passions and the pleasure of what those things bring to them more than they are ruled by the fact that God is better than those things. God is saying be cautious of those things because if you partner with that type of person, you'll find yourself joyless and broke. But lastly... He gets a little deeper into our business as he goes into Proverbs twenty nineteen. He says, "The one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid someone with a big mouth. Whew. Avoid the person who's always spilling somebody else's tea. Avoid the person who enjoys going on media takeout and gossip and." Uh, TMZ and all these different things, wondering about other people 's lives rather than them being concerned about their very own life we 're so indoctrinated as a culture with gossip media that we don 't even recognize that what people are actually making money off is gossiping about other people 's lives, and we eat it up, and we like to talk about what beyonce's doing, what 's going on in her their marriage. We like to talk about our favorite rapper, our favorite artist, and all the troubles as if what they're actually saying is in any way true. Me and my wife went to this event, and um, this pastor was talking about uh, abortion. And in in his sermon, I guess you could call that, in his sermon, he goes in and talks about Brett Kavanaugh. And he brings up this point that the reason why we need to Make sure Brett Kavanaugh or Brent Kavanaugh gets into the Supreme Court is because we need to fight the leftist agenda. We need to make sure that this man or what they're doing really is not about his sexual assault or accusations. What it's about is some political scheme. To which I said, bro, you don't know the man. Why are you bringing up this man's business in a time where we should be looking at how God is concerned for the least of these?" We like talking about other people's businesses, business and we like co-signing other folks based off of what we've heard from somebody else. He says, watch out for the friend that has a big mouth. Because if they can't hold water for other people, then they ain't going to be able to hold water for you. And you'll find yourself consumed with conversation about everybody else, but what actually matters. You got enough problems to discuss and share with other people. You don't need to talk about other people's problems. But there's also the reality that misery loves company. I've been in church long enough to know that there's times where members are hurt, sometimes intentionally or unintentionally, where people leave churches. But I find it always interesting how you can kind of track people from all different churches and somehow they wind up together and they become best friends. And you're just like, you didn't know her or know him when they left, but somehow now there's this cluster of folks who are all angry about the same thing and have rallied behind their bitterness, their resentment. Paul would go as far as to tell us in 1 Corinthians that we don't need to be deceived because bad company corrupts good morals. That God has called us to be friendly to everyone, to be loving, but he also has said, but you need to watch out for the people who influence you the most, the people that you walk with, the people that you listen to, that there are some people that are around you not because they actually love you, but they love what they can get from you, or they love what they, you can do for them. See, the problem here is not necessarily that we have to think differently as if that's the solution. That's part of it. but The problem is that we have a heart issue. The problem is that our hearts chase after things and chase after people. And invite them or naturally draw them into our lives. And before we know we've actually become the very people that we said we never would become. That longing for social satisfaction. Emotional needs to be met. Is evidence in the girl who will give her body to a man that isn't her husband. It's evidence in the guy that will settle for the. First woman that gives him attention. The lack of satisfaction in our own heart leads us to want things or to use the gift that God wants for us in a way that only serves us and not other people. So, if our heart is the issue, what is the solution? And I can't think of a greater solution than we have to look to Jesus. We have to look to the one that when we think about our greatest needs, whether spiritual or emotional, we have to look to the one who's given us an example of the ultimate wise man. The one who, though he was eternally glorious and though he, seed, though he was seated in heaven, left everything that he had there and took on human form for us so that he could not only boast in his majesty, but become lowly as a servant. We have to look at this Jesus who, though he was wise, didn't allow his wisdom to keep us from the foolish men and women of this earth, but his wisdom allowed us to come alongside, to live amongst us, to serve, to care for us. And unlike the people that we would tether ourselves to, Unlike ourselves, who we would say, man, I possess a certain level of wisdom, we fail in that the people that are around us will never be completely wise. We're limited in our ability to do that. But Jesus, who is fully wise, is able to take his righteousness and his wisdom. And when you enter into relationship with Jesus, he won't fail you. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, His righteousness rubs off on you in a way that it not only changes your behavior, but it first changes your heart. He starts to give you new desires and new longings and new passions to where you hate the things that you once loved and you love the things that you once hated. Jesus can empathize with the person who's been betrayed and who's been abandoned and who finds himself friendless. In the garden, Jesus, as he is praying, goes to his closest friends and says, Hey, I'm in my darkest moment, and I come back having asked you to pray with me, and I find you asleep. Not once, not twice, but three times he does this. Jesus, who had a friend who told him, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. Nothing can scare me away. Nothing can keep you from following him. Peter denies Jesus three times. As Jesus is on the cross, all of the people who profess this deep love for him, all the people who said, I'm going to ride with you to the end, Jesus finds himself lonely and abandoned. So if you're in here and you say to yourself, I can't. I, I can't fathom that there's a God who would look upon me and actually love me. I can't fathom that there's a God who would say, though you may not have the friendships that you want, why don't you start with me as a, your very first and most important friend? Because I can promise something to you that other people can't. I can promise that my commitment to you is unwavering. I can promise to you that my love for you will be unconditional. I can promise to you that there's nothing that you can do to fix yourself up that would somehow make me more, make yourself more pleasing to me. I did what needed to be done and I initiated love for you. I demonstrated love for you. So if we believe that, how does that change the way that we interact with one another? How does that change the way that we view initiating relationships with other people? That if Jesus was willing to go to the full extent of coming from heaven down to us, then how much more can we look at his example and pursue building relationship with other people? The reality is that we all need one another that God has not made us to be isolated, God has not made us to be Christians on an island, but that God has surrounded us and provided for us a family. And so as we think about the relationships that we have, a couple couple points or a couple applications. One, the first is pray for your friends. Pray for the people who you have in your life right now that you know have been this breath of life into you. Pray that that would strengthen, that God would strengthen your relationship. But also pray for the friends that you don't have yet. That as you hear about who we should invite in our lives, that we would ask God for wisdom. Jesus, before he selects the disciples, it says that he goes to the mountain and he prays. And he doesn't just ring off or roll off a quick prayer, God, give me, help me choose somebody. But he spends the entire evening praying for whom God would want to bring in his life. How earnest are you in praying that God, that God would give you friendships with people who could walk with you and people who you could listen to and trust their advice for your care? But not only that, I want to encourage you to be content with the friends that you have. Stop always looking at other friend circles as if the grass is greener on the other side. They got problems too. In many cases, it's not that we need to hear a message like this and be like, I need to cut off all these different people and get a whole new friend circle. What I think what God is after and what I want to encourage you to do is to say sometimes it's not that, but it's changing the trajectory of our friendships that we have. It's saying that it's easy to get off course, easy to get off base, and to make our friendships about something that really isn't that important. And it's about taking, the, uh, taking that first step and saying, will I have the courage to say, hey, I want more for our relationship than what it's been. Let's commit together on ways in which we can love God more and love each other better. And that takes humility. Hear God's word and be reminded that we need to pursue the right people. And we need to avoid bad company. But we need to look to Jesus as our example and know that he's provided everything that we need in order to be all that he wants us to be. And he does that through his family. Would you pray for him? Father, I thank you for grace. I thank you that um, your word is powerful enough to accomplish that which you please and i pray that the seeds that have been sown would bear fruit father i pray that you would deepen our um, commitment to pursuing the right relationships would you give us wisdom on the relationships that we need to sever the relationships that have been harmful to us the relationships leading us further away from you and would you give us the courage to have hard conversations with those that we love, those that you've placed in our lives, Lord, that we would truly believe that you can restore and repair even the worst of situations. Father, I pray that your spirit would um, take um, the seed of your word and to produce a harvest in our lives. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.